Having someone to believe in you uh, is a massive thing. And what we're talking about this morning is exactly that, or specifically finding uh, that God has something to say about that. Um, but for those of us that maybe might like to veer towards an isolated, kind of like self-motivating thing, maybe like I uh, might veer towards, I just want to kind of draw attention to how important it is um, to have someone or a group of people to believe in you. And what I mean by believing you, Gemma's going to unpack this a little bit more next week, but believing in you is kind of like encouraging you, strengthening you, uh, empowering with you, sometimes empathising with you, getting alongside you, having those people in your life, whether be family or friends to believe in you is so key is so important and those of us that have got that even if it's just one or two people those of us that got maybe a bigger family or bigger friendship group we know the benefit of that Uh, and and the one that uh, made me think about is obviously my wife Gemma who's over there uh, and she uh, is absolutely that for me someone that believes in me uh, and, and in the humorous way and in the serious way. And one humorous way that I thought about is um, uh, this week we, we met with a few people, um, Lou and Nina and Jamie, Jade and Jimmy, who are getting married this year, uh, which is amazing. We met with them uh, to kind of talk through uh, this whole idea of marriage. And, and obviously that's a, a kind of a, a massive subject. And we're talking about loads of different things. We're going to meet up with them a few times, which will be fun. And it was hilarious, especially if you know Jimmy. Jimmy is a deadpan about most things. Um, so asking him what he's excited about uh, in getting married was an interesting question, because there wasn't much. Uh, but he, you know, he's going to try. Um, but anyway, we're talking about the difference, or we mentioned at one point, the difference between treating people as they are, or as, they, as you believe them to be. And this is something that... Uh, we've kind of like um, really used in our, in our marriage, in our lives uh, over the kind of 15 years that we've been married. And so I reminded Jen of a time when I said to her, hey Jen, you know, you need to treat me not as you perceive me now, but how you want me to be. And she said, Adam, I do that. I treat you as a generous man with a credit card and a short memory. <laughs> of course it was tongue in cheek and joking around, uh, but seriously, that foundation is simple. And, and, and it's, it's a pretty easy thing to kind of get alongside. It's not an easy thing to implement, but it's an easy thing to understand. And for, certainly for me, and I have to balance this when I say something about Gemma that's derogatory, because she's like, man, you give me a bad name. So I'm just going to say something good as well about her, which is absolutely true. Gemma treating me like the man she knows I could be, rather than the one I sometimes am, has literally been the foundation for our marriage. It's literally been the thing that has allowed us to flourish and allowed us to be uh, able to support and strengthen others and certainly support and strengthen each other. Treating me like the person she knows I can be rather than the one that I always am is the single most life-changing aspect. Someone continuously believing in you changes who you are. And if you're not on board with that, that's okay. We're going to unpack that a little bit. But that's what we're talking about this morning. That someone believing who you are, believing in who you are, changes who you are. Someone to encourage and strengthen. Go for it. Be all that you can be. There is nothing like that. And yet, the truth is, we find so many people that find themselves either self-inflicted or by circumstance, isolated. We find that, you know, if we kind of like, we're able to scan it like in an amazing piece of software, there'll be people in this room now that find themselves isolated, not necessarily with a kind of like, yeah, I don't, I don't really got that on a daily basis where I know that someone's belief in me or strength for me or support for me is there. And we find so many people isolated. And it made me think, why is that? And I started to think about this and unpack this and do a bit of reading in it and and came up with these things. They're not necessarily headlines. They're not really new, but just kind of get us all on the same page before we look at something that Jesus did 
uh, in terms of believing in, in a specific person. So fear of failure is a reason that people isolate themselves or find themselves isolated. Because they've, maybe they've failed that person or that friendship group or that family or whatever, however many times. And it's easier just to kind of dis- distance yourself a little bit rather than risk disappointment. Um, the fear of failure, disappointing people, letting people down, embarrassing myself. And that can progress, all those things like a little thing. So I have this kind of like awkward thing I'll talk about later. I don't know how many of you are blinded by my ridiculously white shoes, but I'll talk about them later because I have anxiety, weird anxieties. Uh, Not like necessarily crippling ones, but just weird things where I get stuck on a certain way of thinking and embarrassing myself because I don't want to reach out to somebody or, or even give away that I might need their strength or support. And that can progress. And that progresses and grows. And it might be that you know, it's gone past fear of failure and now you're concluding that who you are is in fact not acceptable. So actually it's easier just to hide it all away. Don't, don't, don't let anybody kind of see the stuff that you need strength in or you need support in. Just hide it. And we are and are surrounded by people who believe or live in the belief that no one believes in them or very few people believe in them. And I'm saying to you this morning, not only do I think that that is a kind of a a secular way of thinking that that's not good, but I believe that Jesus would say that is not the way that's meant to work. There was no provision made for us to do this life with Jesus separate from each other. That might be how we kind of get drawn towards it. We talk about like, oh, yeah, my private faith and, you know, I just like to kind of have solitude and all that kind of stuff. But ultimately when we dig into that, and we're brave to do that, but when we dig into that, often what we find is, I've got a fear of failure. I don't want to disappoint people anymore. I just, I don't really, I don't really like who I am. So I don't want to let people kind of like come next to me. And there we find that whole no one believes in them or no one believes in him in this instance. A guy called Zacchaeus in Jesus' time, who we could kind of go into his backstory loads, but if you know of him, we know a little bit, I'll just give you enough to understand what I'm talking about today. He was a tax collector, therefore he was not liked at all in his society. So he was kind of like, you know, the fringe of society at best. So he wouldn't have been liked, he wouldn't have been liked by the people that he grew up with, by his friends, his family probably would have had issues with him. He was greed orientated, so it's not going to be something that's going to like, oh yeah, Zacchaeus, what a warm guy. Generally, he wouldn't have had people around him. So it's safe to assume that Zacchaeus, especially from what he did in this story, probably lived a no one really believes in me existence. So if you're in that place, if you have a, a, a work situation or a family situation or a friendship group situation or a long-standing kind of anxiety or insecurity or whatever it is that has led you to a Zacchaeus-type place, then we might want to tune in to Zacchaeus walk through the town where he probably didn't have many people say a warm hello to him. And he heard that this guy Jesus was uh, coming along and he obviously heard something about him because it made him go, I want to see him. Uh, So he ran ahead and he climbed a tree, went out on a limb of a tree so that he could see Jesus. Didn't go with a mate, didn't say, hey, this is a good idea, didn't plan it with a family. He was just on his own, tax collector guy, fringe of society. No one believes in him. Luke 19, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. So he was a tax collector and he was good at it. Therefore, he had a lot of people's money. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, 
come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Now, you might know that story. You might be very familiar with that story. And there's a, a tendency when we're familiar with a story to tune out. It might be that we're unpacking something a little bit different or coming at it from a different angle. Jesus had never met Zacchaeus. And yet he knew his name. I love that. In the first instance, because we don't have loads of depth or detail, so we've got to read between the lines of what's happening and pick up the little clues that are being left. In the first moments of Zacchaeus meeting Jesus, which wasn't his plan, remember. He just went out on a limb to see if he could see him. When you're up a tree, your idea is not to kind of run up to him and shake, your hand, shake his hand. He never met him, but Jesus knew his name. And instantly, if you're reading Luke 19 later on, you're kind of taken into a much different interaction than what we were expecting. A much different kind of face-to-face than what we were kind of led to believe might happen here. There is a depth to this encounter. Jesus has brought that depth. Zacchaeus hasn't got a clue what's going on. But Jesus brought a depth. It's not just a name drop. He's not just kind of like, ah, oh, I know your name. Yeah, that's impressive, isn't it? And move on. Because something else unpacks here. The impact of all that follows shows how Zacchaeus was abruptly interrupted. In an instant, Zacchaeus experiences something more than he bargained for. Sometimes we get that, right? Sometimes we get that when, you know, going for a quiet walk for the first time in a week. Sometimes we get that when we come to church tired and knackered, but, you know, something happens that you weren't expecting. Something happens in the room that you weren't expecting. You have a conversation that somehow, hang on, there's a depth to this that I wasn't necessarily turning up for. It's why we still very much believe in this kind of gathering. Because when Jesus comes into the room, something happens that maybe we didn't exactly know was going to. This accelerates from being, I'll just have a curious glance, to, hang on a minute, life might change today. He knows me. He knows what I'm about. He knows, as we find out, the past and fears and regrets. And, he's, and he's, he knows all that, and yet he's saying, and, and I want to be with you. Zacchaeus, I know what you're about, and yet I want to be with you. Despite what people might say, despite the judgment that I'm going to get. And we see that in the following verses. With his first words, Jesus makes clear to all the Zacchaeuses in the room, to all those that maybe have gone out on a limb just coming here this morning, I know who you are and I am still with you. I know what you do and I'm still with you. I know where where you're coming from. I know how you've been struggling. I know that you're on the fringe of society. I know that you think no one believes in you and yet I am still with you. He knows the battles that we have fought and we've lost. He knows when we've tried to be our best and we've failed. He knows all that you want to be and the dreams that you still hold deep down. He knows that you have the ability or how, what you have the ability to be and do and yet how short we fall regularly. Zacchaeus, I know you. Otherwise I would have said, hey there, man in the tree. Zacchaeus, come down. I want to be with you. I'm coming to your house. Jesus saw all that Zacchaeus was. And yet he saw something in him that no one else seemed to. He saw all that he might become. There's a mysterious part that we'll look at just right at the end, but there's a mysterious part in this where we don't really necessarily get to see that, which I like. Other people hate the fact that there's, what? Hang on, the the whole thing's changed. 
that something about what Jesus knew and something about what Jesus saw in Zacchaeus was different to what everybody else saw. Everybody else saw Zacchaeus walking down the road. They were like, ha, greedy tax collector. He's betrayed us. He works with the Romans. I don't really like what he's about. You know, he just walks around wealthy and yet I've got no money at all. Like rejected guy. And yet Jesus saw something in him and said, no, no, no. I, not only you know, am I recognising you, I'm coming with you. I believe in you. I believe in the best that you can be. Like I said about Jem and myself. He believed in what Zacchaeus could be, not in the man that he was. I don't know about you, but that is absolutely amazing news for people like me. Because if God kind of came to me, Jesus came to me and was like, Ad, I can see what you're like now and that ain't good enough for me. So you stay up there out on a limb. Instead he comes to me and says, I can see everything that you are now, but I also tune into who you can be. So you come down, me and you are going to be together. I got these new trainers, Gemma got me these new trainers this week. Um, my other trainers lasted, apparently I walk with a big toe that just protrudes up as I walk. Because uh, literally, I'm not kidding, my right trainer that Gem bought me in July has got a hole in it where my big toe has just like been battering the, the fabric and it's just gone up through. So I don't know what's going on there, but that's something new I learned about myself, that my big toe is trying to escape the rest of my body as I walk. But anyway, I've got these new trainers. Um, and I have a real thing about um, white trainers. I like white trainers, but when I first put them on, it's just they're so glaringly bright. It just, I can't cope with how glaringly bright... Are you turning the lights up? You're having a laugh. And then, they're so glaringly bright. And the white trainers is just this kind of like... I, honestly, I'm not kidding. I put them on, I like them. And it's lovely to have new trainers. And it is a first world problem, I get that. But I'm walking towards... I went to Starbucks um, to meet somebody. And I, I went there on the first morning that I had them on. And I got out of the car. And I, honestly, I felt like I was lit up. Honestly, I just thought like everybody's going to see me. The cars are going to crash because they see my trainers. On the, it just it, it kind of really gets in my head, and I feel like as I'm walking into Starbucks, the only thing people are going to look at are my trainers. And I'm not a centre of attention guy. If you kind of like you met me first for you know see me up here, this isn't my natural way. My natural way is kind of like no one notice me type thing. So walking into Starbucks that morning was honestly a bit of a hurdle for me. I had to really kind of like, okay, hold my breath out, it'll be all right, like, it's fine, they're just white trainers. But I feel like they're announcing my arrival in every like, room I go into. Anyway, so, I don't know what, I said to Jim, I don't know why this kind of thing happens to me, I don't know if this happens to other people, but it seems to me that if you're anxious about something, every now and then God just has a bit of a laugh with it. So, and, and it just like, you know, kind of causes something to happen. So I go into Starbucks and I'm, it's, it's relatively busy, but I'm sat at my table uh, and, and no one's like been blinded or anything like that. I've got to my table and I'm sat there drinking my coffee and the, the waitress comes over and cleans the table next to me and she looks at my trainers and goes, ooh, new trainers. <laughs> I, that's never happened to anybody ever that I've ever been near. And that happens to me. Of course, the two guys that sat on the other table next to me then are alerted to my trainers. So then my trainers have become the centre of attention. And this guy kind of then looks at me and he's like, all he does, oh, it's all he does. And yet, played on my mind for the next 10 minutes, all he does was raise his eyebrows, just looked at me and went, like that. 
Uh, did he like them? Did he think they were unnecessary? Were they, were they overly bright? Were they annoying him? Were they getting in the way of his meeting because he couldn't concentrate? Uh, and it just played on my mind. And it, it was such a weird thing for me. And the, the whole thing with that is I don't like this feeling of kind of nobody does really, this whole feeling of being judged. We don't like this feeling of someone kind of sitting and looking and making a judgment. And I felt like I needed to explain to him why I had new trainers on. I don't know why. I doubt he cared. But it, there it was. We don't want to be judged. We fear people looking at us and deciding who we are. And from our reactions or our personalities or the little that we show as we live life in front of people, we actually give you know, very little of what's actually going on. And especially if you're a bit you know, self-inflicted, isolated. It strikes me as nobody, nobody had any idea, God, no one had any idea that I was thinking some of the things I was thinking as I went into Starbucks. And yet, I, you know, there I was, I, I can't remember, I was, meeting, I was meeting somebody and they came in and they were literally like, oh, how's your morning been? And I'm thinking it's been absolutely a nightmare, if I'm honest with you. <laughs> God knows the utter depths of us. I love that, it's so key, because even the people that love you and know you the most, there's only so much that they can actually see. Some people get really good at like kind of seeing your tales and your moods and all the rest of it, and they can read you a little bit. But on the whole, most of me is going on within me, within my heart and within my mind, within my kind of reactions and, you know, unspoken. And yet God knows the inner depths of me. Psalm 139 unpacks this. Jesus kind of shows this with Zacchaeus, but Psalm 139 gives it us better. This is the message. I'm an open book to you. This is David writing, even from a distance, you know what I'm thinking. You know when I leave and when I get back. I'm never out of your sight. You know everything. If I'm going to say it before I start the first sentence, I look behind me and you're there. Then up ahead and you're there too. Your reassuring presence always with me and yet he says come down you and me are going to be together so Kios he was like hey let's go to your house don't stay up there out on a limb he knows all that we are he knows all that we can be and I am convinced that God, more than anyone else, I think it's the, you know, one of the main things that I am, my heart and soul are given over to him. I am convinced that God, more than anyone else, sees the potential for good that is in us, even in our darkest moments. Why? Why does he believe in Zacchaeus? Why would he believe in me? Why would he believe in you? You might be looking back on a month where it's been an absolute mess. Looking back on a week where it's been all over the place. Looking back on a period of time where it's like, no, no, not, not really at all. Zacchaeus is not passing any performance-based thing. That's great news. That's great news. He's not passing any performance-based thing. We know he's a bit of a mess. We know he's greedy. We know he's been ostracized from society. We know that he's betrayed his own people in order to take money for the Romans and taken a bit on top for himself. So why does God believe in him? He's not qualifying on any prior history or evidential proof. Why would God back him? Why would God back me? Believe in me. Stand with me, support me, empathise with me. Believe that I can be the person that he knows I can be rather than one that I'm showing right now. Verse 7, verse 8, this is the mystery part. All the people saw this, so Jesus was saying, let's go, you know, get down out of the tree, let's go to your house, let's be together. All the people saw this and began to mutter, 
he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. They didn't like Zacchaeus. What is going on here? Why is he going with that guy? And then verse 8, from nowhere. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay, pay back four times the amount. Well, that's a hell of a lot going on there. Between verse 7 and verse 8. Luke's like, I'm just going to skip this bit. Hope that doesn't confuse anybody. Yeah, me. Because verse 7 is like, Zacchaeus is a mess. And then verse 8 is, Zacchaeus is like, not gesture kind of like goodness, but life-altering goodness. Four times as much would have been a heck of a lot of money. That would have changed his lifestyle. That isn't like, oh, what a generous man. That would have changed his ability to live as he had before. This was serious corner-turning time. Verse 7, he's being condemned for being the worst of himself. Verse 8, we see the best of Zacchaeus suddenly appearing. Now, if I'm Jesus, I'm like smug, like told you. Told you it was good. Told you it would happen. But of course, I'm not Jesus, and Jesus doesn't do that. Why does he believe in Zacchaeus? What did he know that we don't see when we look at ourselves? And Jem's going to pick up looking at others and being someone that believes in other people next week. So I'm deliberately not making it kind of that way uh, 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 on purpose. But what did God know? What did Jesus know when he, when he looks at us in our worst moments, in our bad reactions, in our, in our you know, strops, in our like whatever it might be? He said, no, 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 you're out on a limb right now, but get down. Let's be together. Because here's what I know. And here's what Jesus knew. Jesus believes in me because he sees the best of who I was made to be. And the reason that he can trust that is not because of my ability to switch on the best of me. Because what happens between verse 7 and 8, I have a little theory here that Luke was kind of like, we're going to put it in and Jesus is like, no, leave that bit out. Leave that bit out. I don't want him to make a 10-step program out of this. I don't want him to be able to, you know, kind of like be able to pragmatically put this in place. I want there to be a mystery because I want the one defining thing that changes the chaos between verse 7 and 8 is simply being with Jesus. Yeah, but how did that work? Like how many prayers a week do I need to do? Now, what, what books of the Bible do I need to read? How do I need to kind of like work that thing out? No, no, leave it, Luke. Leave it, Luke. Just the presence of Jesus. And Zacchaeus suddenly was turned completely around. And Jesus was like, I knew the best of you was there. I knew the best of you was there. I just knew that someone believing in you and loving you and supporting you and encouraging you and empathising with you. I knew Zacchaeus, if that happened, it would get turned around. You're in a mess, but I'm with you. And you can still be all that I made you to be. I don't know if that's what Jesus said to Zacchaeus in the house, but I like to think it was that. Zacchaeus thought, I got nobody, Jesus. He's like, no, no, you got me. I'm with you. I'm going to be believing in you. I genuinely, genuinely see the best of all that you can be. And then we see what happening, which is where Jem will pick this up, is actually finding what we don't see. Paul, if you're in here, you want to make your way up? Being in the presence of Jesus changed everything. We don't see that, but we can recognise that that's the only kind of defining thing that makes any difference here. 
It wasn't self-help or a drumming up or a 10-step program, all those kind of things, which is why I think there's no verse 7a. In, in fact, look who was affected most by Jesus believing in Zacchaeus. And this is a great tester. This is a great tester for the impact of me being with Jesus, making genuine change to who I am. Genuine change, life-altering change, four times as much change. Is the, the impact actually on, on, on the people in all this thing was not on Zacchaeus. It wasn't even on Jesus, but it was on those around him. Those are the people, you know, those are the characters in this situation that were most affected or impacted by Zacchaeus' turnaround. The presence of Jesus drew Zacchaeus to change others' lives for the better. There's a great test case. The presence of Jesus between verse 7 and 8 did something in Zacchaeus that made him make changes, that the best of him came out and the impact was felt by everyone around him. Did life get better for Zacchaeus? Well, not directly. In fact, it probably got a little bit worse from a financial point of view. But those around him were massively impacted by the hope that Zacchaeus found in Jesus. He paid everyone back four times as much. He believes in you so that you can bring hope to others. He believes in you so that you can bring hope to others. If you're not scribbling that down, if you're not memorizing that, don't worry, that is going to be the most repeated phrase of 2020. He believes in you so that you can bring hope to others. That's the ball game. That's what we're here for. That's what Jesus is about. I've made church and Christianity about a whole lot of other things, but that's what we're playing with. Hope for me brings hope for others. And Jesus believes in me so that I can transfer the hope that I found and give it out to those that I come across. Find hope, give hope. Find hope, give hope. Continually. And all Zacchaeus did, just to take us back as we finish, all Zacchaeus did right at the start, which is might be you here this morning, it might be you here this week, it might be where you're at with this whole thing. All he did at the start of Luke 19 was go up a tree and out on a limb and have a look.